Mark chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to talk about storms today. In life, we go through storms. We go through difficult times for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes we go through family storms. If you're married, you go through marriage storms. Uh, If you haven't ever been through a marriage storm, well, be forewarned. (laughs) They happen. We go through health storms and our personal health. We can go through church storms. We can go through storms in our workplace. We just can, we, this is part of life, is going through the challenges of life. Sometimes our storms are in here, right? And it's like, man, I just can't shake loose of these thoughts that just weigh me down. And they won't seem to go away. And so life has storms. And in Mark chapter 4, we see Jesus and his disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee, and a storm rears up. Now, I'm going to start at verse 1, though, which might seem like a strange place to start, and then we're going to skip to the verses on the storm. So read with me Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It says, He began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea, and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. Well, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to spend the day hanging out in a boat. I don't know if that sounds like a nice thing, hanging out in a boat. It does in January. Yeah, I know. And uh, we get this threefold repetition. He's by the sea. He's in a boat on the sea. And he, he's teaching in all the crowds on the land. And he's by the sea. And when I look at this, I see an interesting parallel because his day is going to begin with a lesson by the sea, but it's going to end with a lesson on the sea. And in life, and Jesus did this all all the time, we get the words, right? And then you get the experience, right? You get the lesson, all right, let's have the classroom lesson. All right, here you go. Wait, oh, what? Yeah, go, go, go try it now. Okay. Do you follow what I'm saying? So in, in school, we would call this uh, classroom notes and then the field trip, right? Or in, maybe in science class, it might be the theory, right? And then the lab. And I think this is what's happening here. And part of the reason it's happening is because there's a shift in Mark's gospel at this, in this chapter. Where in chapter 3, it says he called his disciples to, to himself, he appointed them, and then he gave them authority. Now, if you've ever been given authority, you are expected to do something with it, correct? Right? You know, if a police officer enters the police force and gets sworn in, however they do that, I really don't know how that happens... But here's your badge, here's, here's your uniform, and then they're out there and something's going on and they're, and they're like this. Are they doing their job? No, they've been authorized for a purpose. And Jesus has authorized them, he's giving them the lessons, and they're about to get the hands on. Surprise, because they weren't expecting it. Go to the Mark 4 verse 35. So Jesus is out, he's teaching them about the nature of God's kingdom all day. And then in verse 35, it says this. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, 
Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Mr. Booth, don't you care that we're perishing? Mrs. Middlestad, actually, it's not that anymore because she's in the high school now. Mrs. Middlestad, I was going to do this. Mrs. Middlestad. She was our grade one teacher for a number of years. Don't you care? This is what's going on. They're waking, they wake up Jesus. Jesus! Except they call him teacher the first time in Mark's gospel. Twelve, eleven more to come. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Of course, Jesus wakes up. And what does he say? He could say all kinds of things. Guys, it's a storm. Why didn't you wake me sooner? Right? I almost think that's what I'd expect him to say. You know, I'm here. Flex the Jesus muscles, whatever those look like. Okay? I'll take care of this, guys. I was going to blow, but he's not storm like in the superheroes. Peace be still, and it's done, right? He doesn't do that. Right? He doesn't say, guys, you've got a great boat. Look at this boat. This is a fantastic boat. It's made of the best wood of Lebanon, Sea of Galilee, 2000, Fisherman Edition. This is unsinkable. What are you worried about? Like, some of the things that maybe he could say, or even the fact that, come on, you guys are fishermen. You've been in storms before. What's the big problem here? Like, he just doesn't do that. But what he does say really, really shocks me. And I mean, truthfully, if I put myself in their shoes, and I think you too, uh, we might not appreciate his response. So at first, he saves the day. He got up. He rebuked the wind. He said to the sea, talk to the sea, peace be still, or literally, be muzzled. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? What happened to your faith? Why don't you have any faith? And then it says they became frightened. This is a whole different kind of fear now. And it says they looked at him and they said, Who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. I'm going to read three more verses. I know we'd normally end there, but you'll see why as we go through this. Three more verses, chapter 5. So they came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And this man had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. I'll tie in why I wanted to end there later on. But let's go through this together. So we're in a storm, and you're caught up in a storm. And the thought that came to me as I was preparing this message is, you know, the waves are pouring in, it says. And I, you know, of course, it's one thing to be in the sea. It's another thing to have the sea in the boat. And I, I, the thought that came to me when I was preparing this message is, what do you do when your boat becomes a bathtub? <laughs> now, the temptation, just to be funny, be like, get the rubber duckies out. Yeah. Get, get, yeah. get out the bubbles. Have some fun. But it's like, no, this is life or death. Like, this is real. It's a real storm. 
And they could go down, and they could all die. What do we do when our boat becomes a bathtub? (laughs) What do you do when you're in a storm? Well, we do something, because if we don't do anything, things can go terribly wrong. When your marriage is in a storm, if you don't do something, you could end up with a broken marriage. A silent marriage full of resentment and quiet anger. Sometimes loud anger. Sometimes divorce. Maybe that's been your experience. We worry about our kids. Right? How, how do I help my kids? This is a serious storm. I'm a parent. I know exactly what that's like. Well, I want to talk to you about what do we do? Do we do nothing? Do we pull harder at the oars? Well... Number one, when your boat becomes a bathtub, don't get out the rubber duckies. Number one, shift your focus. Shift your focus. Their focus was where mine would be, where yours would be. Their focus was on the storm. This thing was overwhelming them. It says the waves are pouring into the boat. This would have been scary. And their focus is exactly where we'd expect it to be. Oh my gosh, look at this storm. How are we ever going to get out of this? But I believe that God's invitation to us is shift your focus away from the storm and even away from the boat and onto your faith. Now, I know you're expecting me to say onto God, and that's, that's true and that's good, but shift it onto your faith because Jesus' answer to them was, what happened to your faith? You might be thinking, and I prayed about this. I prayed about this this week, and I thought, I actually was journaling, I said, Lord, that seems like a really unfair question. Like, really? How do they have a grid that they can calm storms, right? Like, does does it seem a little unfair to you, right? Like, come on, Jesus, like, how are we supposed to know we can do this? But what I felt the Lord say into this is he said, well, if I don't call them to do it, who's going to? If there are things that are in you that he wants to call out that you don't know are there. They didn't know they could calm a storm, but he was willing to put them into a situation that was way out of their grid so they could find something out about themselves. Do you follow what I'm saying? In the life of faith, God will sometimes put you in situations that are just not comfortable. And you think, oh, how am I ever going to get through this? I have no grid for this. Why would he put you in a place like that? He sees something in you that you didn't know was there. He's put an authority in you and a faith in you that can get you through. So shift your focus from your faith, onto your faith, off of the storm. Number two. When your boat becomes a bathtub, this one's going to surprise you, so I'll read from my journal in a moment. You'll see where this is coming from. Bear with me. Don't throw anything at me. Number two. Realize that having Jesus in your boat is not enough. 
I, I, he just said that, I know, that's crazy. Realize, though, that having Jesus in your boat is not enough. Now, no one's throwing anything at me. Yes, this is very good, you good students. My students don't throw things at me. Paper airplanes occasionally come near me, but they don't throw anything at me. When I was praying about this, this is something the Lord spoke to me, and I thought, well, okay, uh, right. But here's the thing. Jesus is in the boat. Is the storm raging? Yes, absolutely. Having Jesus in the boat was not enough. What did they have to do? They had to wake him up. A sleeping Jesus has no power. A sleeping Jesus has no power. And likewise, a sleeping faith has no power. Our faith needs to wake up to to face the storms. If our faith doesn't wake up to face the storms, how are you going to get through them? And we got to get through them. Because there's a mission on the other side of the sea. There's somebody waiting on the other side of the sea. we got to get through these storms. Amen? Are you hearing me? Let me read to you uh, just a little snippet from my journal. Faith needs to be awakened. A sleeping faith will not accomplish anything. There I was with them in the boat. They knew well enough to take me along, yet my presence alone was not sufficient to get them through. This is my conversation with the Lord as I'm praying. I said, wow, I think if I preached that, I'd offend a lot of people. So if you got a little offended, you just fulfilled prophecy, but don't worry. Here's part two. He said, you will, but they'll see it. They'll see it. You see, having me in your life or in your boat is not enough. Yes, it's enough in the sense of your final salvation, but only because you applied your faith for salvation. Likewise, you must apply your faith in other situations. And yes, you must apply it in storms. You must especially apply it in storms. People are in life-or-death situations and are facing desperate battles, yet they've not awakened their faith. I'm not there physically for them to rely on, but I am there in my word, and I'm there by my spirit, and I expect them to rouse their sleeping faith to speak to their storms. Peace. Be still. Having Jesus in the boat is not enough. We need to awaken our faith to meet the storms. So number three, when your boat becomes a bathtub, let your faith wake up and speak to the storm. Now, I know writing that is really simple. I know saying it is really simple. Because all of us have things in our lives that are going on, some that are incredibly challenging. And if we all took some time to to share our stories, there would be some very painful situations that would come to the surface, some very discouraging or despairing situations. Or just me sharing this with you is making your mind go back to a situation that you've gone through. And you're thinking, let your faith rise up and speak to the storm. What good is that? Well, don't write it off. Our temptation is to automatically switch to being rational and to think, what good is that going to do? Speak to the storm. You really do have an authority. Just say this with me. I have an authority. 
I have authority. You, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has taken you, he has raised you with him according to Ephesians 2, he has seated you with him in the heavenly places with Christ. With Christ. That's who I am. With Christ. That's who you are. With Christ. So I have authority. You and I, we have to get comfortable with our authority. Because there's a temptation to just sort of always revert back to just being ordinary people. And you are far from ordinary people. If you are in Christ, you are the furthest thing from ordinary. (laughs) True, isn't it? Come on. We're not ordinary people. He doesn't dress us in a soldier's outfit in Ephesians 6 to live like a victim. You know, it's interesting that he says your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities in the heavenly places. Who's in the heavenly places? I am. I am there. Do you know what that means if I'm in the heavenly places and the powers of darkness are in the heavenly places? It means God has put me on the battlefield, and I'm not a victim anymore. I am not a victim. Just let that land in your heart. When we're tempted to live with a victim mentality, get rid of it. You're in Christ. You're seated with Jesus far above in the heavenly places. That's the connection between Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 6. Amen? Okay? So speak to the storm. Well, that's too easy. I don't know. Have you tried it? Like, really, have you tried it? Well, I tried it once. Well, try it again. You know, when you learn to play baseball as a kid, you don't stand at the plate and swing once and miss and go, oh, I tried that. (laughs) Never trying that again, right? You take another swing. And you take another swing. Because you believe that somehow if you keep swinging, you've seen other people do this, and I know if I just keep swinging, I'm going to hit it. Somehow I'm going to learn to do this because discipleship is a long-term... What's the word you used? Business. There you go. It's a long-term business. So I'm not just going to give. I'm going to keep swinging, and one day I'm going to hit it. I might tip it. And then eventually I might get a single. And if I keep swinging, I might get a home run. I might hit it so hard the bases are loaded, we might all come home. Ho! Come on now. I'm happy. I'm enjoying my sermon. (laughs) Hallelujah. Norm said your family, come and be family. So I'm just enjoying myself. (laughs) Well, speak to the storm. Well, that doesn't work. I don't know where she is, but one of our students, I, I won't refer to her by name, but I did ask if I could share this. She came to me last week, two week, a week and a half ago, and we're talking about some stuff, and I could see her heart was really weighed down, and I just said, well, can I pray for you? So I just prayed. I don't really recall even what I prayed exactly, but I just prayed. Walked away. She walked away. Life went on. She came to me, I think two days later, and she just said, Mr. Andrew, thank you for praying for me. She said, I can't describe it, but she said it was like there was this automatic switch that happened after you prayed. And she said, all the sadness I was feeling just left. 
And I just felt peace and joy. And she said, I've never felt anything like that before. Right? I told a story uh, last week. I preached this message, a version of it, I guess, <laughs> last week. And um, I used to have chronic pain in my neck from a car accident. The short story is put your seatbelt on when you drive. And uh, I wasn't going that fast, but I'm <laughs> glad you enjoyed that. And <laughs> I always wear my seatbelt now. And I put my head into to the windshield of our car, front windshield. I was driving. And I don't know what happened. I didn't go to the doctor. That was another mistake. But anyway, I dealt with this chronic pain for years and years and years. And we were going through a series in our church. And whatever the teaching was, I don't know, but something switched inside of me where I just thought, I don't have to live this way anymore. I don't have to live with chronic pain. Now, I know if you're people in the world think you do, but we're not in the world, right? Well, that's impossible. Impossible is God's business. I've tried impossible. I found out it was impossible. I have too, trust me. First time I tried to do anything supernatural, it was like the biggest fail ever. <laughs> I'll tell the story. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was a teenager, probably the age of some of our grade 12s. And downtown Winnipeg, I'm in the exchange district, and my heart is on fire for God, and I want to do, I want to do exploits. I want to try stuff. I want to take risks. But I was scared, really scared. So I didn't actually do anything. But I was getting tired of never trying anything. And there was this pigeon on the sidewalk. <laughs> exactly. Now feel free. Laugh at my expense. <laughs> so there's this pigeon on the sidewalk, and uh, it was injured. And I was like, I'm going to heal the pigeon. I'm going for it. I am stepping out in faith. And so I, I didn't lay hands on it. That was too much. <laughs> but I went close to it. I start praying. And this thing starts flapping. The wings start going. I'm like, it's working. You know, it's, it's, something's going on here. And the wings are going. And then it's like, and then boof. I killed it. I killed it. it. Literally, it died on the side. I looked around. I, I did not try to raise it from the dead. And I just, okay. Well, didn't go so well. Do, do you keep swinging, though? Yeah, you do. And eventually, I started, you know, things started to go right when praying for people. I didn't even finish the chronic pain story. I got distracted by the pigeon. Okay? But the end of the day was, I, I went after this chronic pain issue. And I, I remember being in my house and just saying, I am not living this way. This is not part of my destiny. I don't have... Jesus took my sin. He took my sickness. He took the curse. Why am I living this way? And I began to go after it, and I could feel like there was a breakthrough happening as I'm just speaking to the pain, speaking to the issue. And the Lord brought me the thought, dump out your, your drugs, <laughs> legal drugs, like Advil and this kind of stuff. And so I'm getting rid of all this stuff. And there was a tiny travel bottle, and I took the travel bottle, and this, the mental stronghold over my mind that this could never change, that this storm 
would always be in my life was so unbelievably strong. I am standing over the toilet getting ready to dump Advil. <laughs> and it felt like I was a drug addict. Like I, I may as well have been dumping heroin down the toilet. And I just made myself do it. Because I, I really thought, enough's enough. I am fighting this fight. Into the toilet, in that moment, something physically left me. And there is a shift in my health from that day forward. It can happen. It can happen. One bullet aimed in faith at the bullseye can take something down in the spirit realm. So don't think it's too easy. Let your faith speak to the storm. Number four, recognize that an abundance of words does not necessarily equal an abundance of faith. Jesus spoke... I haven't looked at what it is in the Greek, but in our Bibles, three words. Peace be still. He spoke three words. We need to remember that an abundance of words doesn't necessarily mean an abundance of faith. Because what can happen is we get into our storms, and we'll start to pray, and, and we'll just add words upon words upon words upon words, and before you know it, all we've done is switch out one boat with another kind of boat. Right? And, of course, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, they think they'll be heard for their many words. And so we take the wood from our boat, and we gather some words, and we build some word wood together and make a whole new boat, thinking that's going to get us through the storm. Well, you might be thinking, come on, Mr. Tyler, (laughs) Mr. Andrew, come on, Tyler. That was just a weather storm, and that was Jesus. My storm is more complex. My storm has lots of people involved. It's got lots of issues involved. It's got health complexities. There's no way I can speak to it. I just want to say, number one, and I want to emphasize this one more time before I transition, just do it. You have authority. You'd be surprised what words spoken in faith can do. Just let, it, let that land. That's not my truth. That's what Jesus said. And if you go to Mark 10, he says you can do this too. Okay? Well, my storm's too complex. I can't do that. Well, it's true. There are other kinds of prayer that we need sometimes. Prayer isn't a one-type-fits-all. Prayer is a bit of a toolbox. Sometimes we need to ask for wisdom. We need to ask for wisdom. That's one of the kinds of prayer. Now, you might be thinking, don't go to James 1. I really don't want to hear James 1 right now. I get it, right? Don't go to James 1. Don't, don't go to that wisdom part where you're going to tell me, consider it pure joy. Not just joy, pure joy. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. And if any of you lacks wisdom, it says right after that, they should ask God who gives generously, without finding fault. And I read that to mean he's not looking for a reason to disqualify you. So don't disqualify yourself. He gives generously to all without finding fault, But he who asks 
must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a, and now follow the connection, is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed, lost in the storm. Okay? Ask for wisdom. So point, I don't know what point we're on now. Point number five. (laughs) Point number five, some storms need a different kind of prayer. Take time to listen in your prayer. Ask for wisdom. Listen. Write it down. And act on it. And in your listening, one of the things I'd encourage you to listen for is also just pay attention. Saying this in the prayer room, actually, after you guys left. Pay attention to your daydreams. I don't have time to really explain this, but God will actually speak to you in your daydreaming if you're paying attention. Okay? Just tuck that away. I don't have time to unpack that. But listen. Listen for scriptures. Listen for ideas. Listen for the voice of the Spirit. Listen for what you see in your daydreams. That's a little bit more looking. But look for what you see as you're daydreaming because you might just see yourself doing the solution that you need to do in your daydreams. Right? We expect him to speak to us in our night dreams, don't we? Do you? Well, why can't he speak to you in your daydreams? Why not? I think that's what probably happened to a lot of the prophets. All right. So ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. You know, the temptation is to ask for a bucket. <laughs> Lord, my boat is filling. <laughs> I need a bucket. No, you need wisdom. No, seriously, Lord. I, I need a bucket. I know how to solve this problem. If you could just give me this, problem's going to be solved. And he's going, no. Ask me for wisdom. Ask me for wisdom. Okay? And so, ask him for Wisdom. Point number six, last point. Accept the fact that the trials we face, this is the hardest part, I think. Accept the fact that trials are the classroom of life. Okay? Trials are the classroom of life. And have the courage to face them. Jesus didn't just <laughs> let his disciples have a lesson by the sea. He let them have a lesson on the sea. And part of the lesson was that they didn't know that in them was what they needed to face that storm. And that's not to take away from Jesus, because what was in them to face the storm was from Jesus. It was from him. It was the authority that he gave them. It was the faith that he gave them. And accepting the fact that trials are part of the classroom of life is really hard. However... There are things that we learn in our trials that you can't learn anywhere else. There really are. There's wisdom that you learn in the classroom of life, in the hardships of life that you can't get in a university classroom. There are things in the classroom of life that you can't get sitting in a sermon on a Sunday morning. But in the classroom of life, God will bridge what you're learning on a Sunday with what's happening on Tuesday, and they'll come together. And you'll walk out of that experience, you'll walk out of that storm, and you'll find yourself on the other side of the sea, Mark chapter 5, and you have something to offer the people who are waiting on the other side, 
waiting for us to show up, waiting for us to get through our storms and share with them, how did you get through it? How did you get through it? How did you get through that situation with your kids? How did you get through that situation in the workplace? How did you get through that financial crisis? And you could sit down and say, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you how God got me through. They're waiting on the other side. The verse that I want to close with is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it was neat that you actually uh, read from that uh, earlier. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I just want to read this to you. Actually, Caleb, can you come and play some music? And then, Norm, if you want to say anything, obviously over to you. But... Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort. God can take, (laughs) to quote Joyce Myers, he can take your mess, he can turn it into a message, he could take your storm, and he can turn it into something for his good. This morning, though, I felt like there was people here, and I might be wrong, and if I'm wrong, that's okay, but I felt like there's people here that maybe are really... Sometimes when you go through storms, you, you, you get through them, but you don't get through them okay. Um, what I mean is, the situation has subsided, but you come out really wounded. You come out really, really wounded. You come out sometimes angry. Sometimes you come out bitter. Um, sometimes you just come out carrying stuff. And I felt like God just wanted to minister his love into some people today. And just minister his love. Because when we go through these kinds of trials and and hardships, his heart is for us to not carry anger out of them. I think that's why that's where it goes next in James 1. It gets into anger. Because sometimes, um, sometimes we we get through the storm, but the storm's still kind of in us, if you know what I mean. So I wondered if, if that connects with anybody, maybe we could just stand and Caleb will lead us in this worship song. And if that's all right with you, Norm, we'll just minister God's love to anyone who's feeling they need it. <laughs>